Hey, welcome everyone to the Reflex Blue Show. I'm your host, Donovan Beery, returning for season 17 with Mike Schneit. Mike, how are you doing? And you're, you're in New York, right? I'm in Jersey City. I'm doing well, Donovan. Oh, Jersey. Is that a, I mean, I don't know if, if it's, do you admit that or I don't know how it works. I don't know what the, what the New York Jersey situation is. It, it hurts because I'm actually originally from Long Island and I basically moved from Long Island to Jersey City. So I jumped over everything good in between. So I'm kind of conflicted saying I live in Jersey City, but we call this place the sixth borough. So, you know, you've got Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, et cetera. We think Jersey City is the sixth borough. So I, de- I identify as a New Yorker. <laughs> I take it that Jersey says it's the sixth borough, but I take it that New York does not. No, I don't think New York wants any anything to do with us. You see Jersey and you just hold your nose and say, ugh. <laughs> We're here in Omaha, so so I think I think the entire East Coast acts like we don't even exist, which is fine. But you're okay with so, that. Yeah, we are not we are not the seventh borough. I will I will say that. <laughs> that would be a stretch. Yeah, I might start that though. I might start that rumor that we're the seventh borough. We'll see how far it goes. It's we could coin not it. very far. Yeah. Yeah. We'll happened today. Right here. Well, Mike, you've got a new book out. It's called Creative Endurance from Rockport. And this is your first book, I hear, right? Congrats. It is my first book. Yes, yes. What was it that led you to say, like, hey, I I work in magazines. I do a bunch of magazines. Maybe I should go to, to uh, you know, I think, I think in your book, it was interesting. You talk a, a little bit about your career journey. And you kind of mentioned that, you know, you're kind of, the magazine world is kind of shrinking in size, like as far <laughs> as people working in it. Yeah. I'm not saying quality or anything. I'm mean, just like, sure. you're just like, so you're saying, hey, maybe I should go out and do a book. Um, did you look that maybe the book industry might be shrinking too, or is it not? No, you know, this, I for years when I worked in men's health, I worked, you know, men's health is service journalism. So you're giving, you know, readers something, some kind of takeaway, right? And I always loved the idea of service journalism. And in the back of my mind, I always felt like I wanted to write a book because, you know, I've been working side by side with editors and writers and just kind of, absorbing that side of the process. So throughout all the years, like that's been in the back of my mind, but then fast forward to pandemic, when I started teaching, I started, so I teach design classes on the side. And, you know, I started to notice that within my students, like they were a lot more concerned about the future than I remember I was when I was a design student. Like they were worried about like all the obstacles they would face and imposter syndrome and self-doubt and all sorts of things like that. And they would ask me, like, how do you, you know, how do you continue to stay creative throughout your career? And it made me want to, like, write some kind of, like, self-help guide to to creativity, and a, but, like, a really practical guide. Like, so taking that idea of service journalism from my magazine experience and then adding it to creativity to so that I could write some kind of really practical guide. So, you know, I've never really thought like, hey, I want to crack into the book industry. The book industry is falling apart or whatever. It was more just like, I want to make something that's, you know, uh, really helpful for people to read and also just a fun, you know, enjoyable experience in a book. Well, it was. And 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 you can tell your years of work in magazine industry helped off because the, the book is gorgeous. The book looks Thanks. great. There's a lot of fun to it. It reads well. It reads quickly. And I was kind of bummed that it was only in paperback. Okay, we'll get your hardcover copy. I didn't know they made a hardcover copy. I didn't know. Well, no, they don't. don't. But for (laughs) you, I will will put one together for you. (laughs) I'll be all right. I'll be all right. I was just like that. I think I think that's what it would take to make it even better. But it's already Mm. it's already great. And you can tell you can tell that you've you've obviously done publication design for a while. 
Yeah. I, you know, and honestly, the, I, I, I kind of designed it before I wrote it. Like, cause I was like, I thought a lot about the experience of reading through it. I designed it. And then on the side, I wrote it. Like I was basically just writing within a Google doc and everything I wrote was about three times the length of what could actually fit into the book. And it was like, it kind of hurt. And it like, it made me like realize like what the editors and the writers that I work with in magazines like go through when we, they see our layouts and they're like, you can only fit 300 words. I wrote a thousand words. And I went through the same experience in writing this, but at the end of the day, like I really did, I wanted it to move quickly because I was like, okay, you know, a, a lot of it is associated with like me as a runner and the idea of endurance and there's athletes in the book. And I wanted the pacing of the book to kind of move briskly, kind of like, you know, just give the reader enough story so that they can, they can quickly understand like, what's the takeaway of this piece that I'm reading here. Because you have, I mean, the book is just over 150 pages. And you have 56 interviews in it, so yeah. so you're not lying. These are these are very quick, and there is it is it is you you start with this is the takeaway almost with with every single one of these case studies. Yeah, I thought a lot about just you know how people don't have like the most attention span these days, right? And I understand that, especially with a piece of service journalism, I want you to know exactly what you're getting into when you're about to read the book. And early on, I set I set a goal for myself that I didn't want anything in the book to go over two pages. So that's why interviews in the book are only a spread. All the rules, you know, are either one or two pages because I wanted it to be quick. It wasn't, you know, I set that rule out for myself in the beginning. It wasn't easy to adhere to it, but it was one of my goals for the book. So yeah, that's, it's, it's by design that there's just a lot of content in the book and it moves briskly. Since this is your first book, but you've been in magazines for a couple of decades now almost? Yeah, 20 years. Was there something where you were like, I can actually do something design-wise in a book that I couldn't in a magazine? Yeah, because I was writing and designing it. So it was on me to just make you know it fit within whatever structure I gave myself. And it, you know, by also designing it, it actually made it easier for me because like, like if you if you look through the book, there's a lot of little tidbits, like what we call, when I worked at Esquire, we called the marginalia, where you have like little things, you know, like a little quote at the top of the page or on the side of the page or on the bottom. And it's what like we call like the milkshake theory where you use everything, right? So everything comes out in the, in the milkshake. So I had a lot of content, like, cause I did 39 interviews. And at the end of the day, at the very end of the process of putting the book together, I, there was so much stuff that I wanted to include, and I had just like fun little quotes from people, so that I sprinkled those all throughout the book, which added another layer to the reading experience. So, and I thought a lot about that as working on the book, like, what is the reading experience for this? Like, I didn't expect somebody to read the book front to back as you traditionally would. I wanted it to be nonlinear, so it's something where you could just flip through and you, you know, rule number thirty-four, or whatever might resonate with you, or this interview might resonate with you. Uh, entries are at different lengths, so entries might be 20 words, entries might be 800 words, so a little something for everybody, depending on whatever kind of mood you're in that day. And then I did notice that because I started reading it kind of page by page, and then I started realizing, oh, there's these little things in the, I was missing, like these little tidbits up at the top, yeah. or when you flip back, and then I'm like, oh, you gotta, you gotta kind of like decipher the page design a little bit first, too. Yep, 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 yeah. It's interactive without the buttons. <laughs> well, I've already quoted in my class one of these things 
Yeah. Because they were they were talking. Uh, I think we had a Wednesday night class. And they were talking about the the current generation. They're like everything's instant. We our attention spans only so much, and then and then this is how we want to work. And I said, uh, you've got this great quote that said, "Boring is part of the pathway to success." Really, Demong. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like that. I mean, that's. I think I think people forget how great things that are boring can be. Yeah, his like folk, or he had a quote from his coach that said, "Kansas is boring, but you have to go through Kansas to get to Colorado." And he would just he, Billy was an Olympic gold medalist in this the sport of Nordic combined skiing. So he would he explained you know we talked about his like training methods and he explained how he would just run on a treadmill for three hours just to like build up his endurance. And he on a treadmill in his house and like had a post-it note in, in front of the treadmill on a wall with a dot on it. And we just run and stare at that dot and not think about anything but that dot for three hours. That was his way of just, he was like, yeah, it's boring to run on a treadmill, but I have to do it in order to be an Olympic gold medalist. And I, I feel like I can't just run for three hours and stare at a dot on my wall, but I love like talking to people kind of like, you know, on the on on the outskirts of mental endurance and that's what you know really got me interested in talking to athletes too because i thought you know on the surface you, know, you think they're these like amazing like physical specimens right but then as you talk to them you talk about their training plans and you find you find these people that could run like billy that could run for three hours on a treadmill and you realize like there's just so much mental endurance too and there's just like a lot of creativity in like training plans too and just like how to like stare at a dot it's just, it was like absurd to me <laughs> that, that one person could do that but you know god bless them i mean maybe that's why we're not gold medalists gold medalists in design or, oh there you go but i mean what what's what's the what's the design equivalent of staring at a dot on a treadmill for three hours i think i mean i've done designs where you like you know you might like try to make like type look like a like pixelated or something and you're moving pixels on a grid and you know just kind of i don't know I, yeah <laughs> i do believe that in our profession there are things that are that if anyone else heard that that's what you did all day long they'd be like how why you know we we do things that are very tedious and would be considered probably boring but that that's what you have to do to finish to finish a project i mean i remember like college days like putting things together with like rubber cement and exacto blades and cut in. And I, you know, that was like tedious work and I'd be up like in the middle of the night. Like if I screwed it up, I'd redo it. Like if you're comping a package or a brochure or something, I feel like I'm dating myself as I say this, but you know, whatever. But it was like, that was tedious, but it was also fun. Cause you like, you kind of get you put on your music, you get into your, your flow state. And it, those are the moments when you're like, do I really want to do this? Like, yes, I want to do this. Yes, I'm having fun at three in the morning, cutting things with an exacto blade. So, you know, I think that is a version of our, you know, dot. Yeah, I think I think for the class we had to do that on in college, that was the class where I believe the the uh, professors weeded out the students that didn't want to be in the profession or not. They gave a crazy amount of work, and it was a lot of that type of work, and and uh, you got that rubber cement high. That you weren't expecting <laughs> and if you could make it through that you could you, you know you'd make it to the next semester and i so remember that's why I, wanted to, that's why I wanted to become a designer i was just high off rubber cement from college and i thought this would be this is a good idea 
It's very possible. It's very possible <laughs> that's what kept us in this profession. I need to go huff some rubber cement now then. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't even know the last time I've used rubber cement. It's I know that's disappeared. I am dating myself right now. I have, you know, some, if my any of my students listen to this, they're going to say, like, you know, the hell is this guy talking about? All right. Well, we're going to be right back with Mike Schneidt. All right, Mike, you've got 56 interviews in this book. And I think there's only a, a, a handful of a very small handful of them that were actually designers. Mm -hmm. Like it's it, so it's a fun because it's a book. It's it's I think it's written mainly for designers. But you're taking inspiration from every other profession. How was it that you found these people to be in the book? Because because normally we know we think like, oh, who are the the designers we follow? Maybe I can talk to them. Maybe I can find their influences. But but in this case, you're talking to people who want to go to space. You're talking to an eight year old girl. You're talking to some seventy six year old guy that you just ran into on the street that writes poems. I mean, it, it was fun because I think I got a lot from it. But but when I looked through the list of people, I think Haviv was the only person whose name I even recognized or had heard, heard of. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wanted a, a broad mix, you know, that felt global and also local. So, you know, when it, well, global that reaches into outer space. So, you know, I, I wanted there to be a little bit of something for everybody. And I thought about, you know, you mentioned the, the nine-year-olds and the 76-year-olds. So, I took this idea of endurance and I stretched it a lot of different directions. So it initially started with running. So I thought, okay, running, let me interview an ultramarathoner. So I interviewed Dean Carnassus. And then I thought, let me expand the idea of endurance athletics. So then like I spoke to Evelyn Dong, who's a, a mountain biker. And then I thought, okay, well, like, how can we stretch this idea of endurance even more? So I thought, I'd love to talk to an astronaut. And through, in working in magazines for years, you know, I have... I know a lot of editors who have contacts at places. And I reached out to one of my former editors from Men's Health. And I said, this is a long shot, but do you have any contacts at NASA? And he gave me one. And, you know, it was like a very surreal email exchange where I'm going back and forth with NASA and, and telling them I'm writing a book on creativity. And I want, in, I want to interview Jeanette Epps. And they're like, you want to talk to an astronaut about creativity? And I'm like, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I want to do this. because Well, because I was like, you know, I feel like, when you're a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. I was like, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a cop. I want to be a fireman. Again, huffed uh, rubber cement and became a graphic designer. But, um, you know, I just thought, like, I want to give that bit of aspiration, right? That bit of aspiration, like, you know, here's how an astronaut got to where they are. So, you know, that gave kind of a nice range of, like, fantastical stories, but also wanted to make them relatable. And I wanted to talk to these people about, you know, not just success, but rejection because that's a big thesis for the book is like, you have to overcome all of these obstacles to get to, to achieve your goals. But I also, you know, it was kind of like layering like the tallest sandwich in the world where I also thought, okay, well, there are designers out there that are gonna want like people like Sagi Haviv, right? And, you know, if I spoke to like photographer, Peter Yang, illustrator, Yuko Shimizu. So I was just, I was like layering the sandwich and thinking about how do I give a little bit of something to everybody? And then, yeah, I spoke with a nine-year-old who lives around the corner from me, who is uh, Camille Gerke. She's a, a really good illustrator. Spoke with a 76-year-old, a guy named Russell Francis that I met in a coffee shop. Um, and I just, you know, I wanted it to feel really attainable because I felt like, okay, if I just, you know, write about astronauts and, you know, big shot designers, that's great. But 
if I also layer in the guy from the coffee shop and the nine-year-old, then it feels like more well-rounded. And then it also allows the reader to look through and find parallels between all of their stories. No, and I think I think that does it well. And and the beauty is, is the advice you get, it also shows the advice you get from anybody can be just as relevant. Yeah. yeah. And you don't and you don't know where the advice that's going to hit you comes from. Right. And that's that's part of the design of the book, too, is to be able to flip through and just see whatever advice you know resonates with you with that day or that point in your career. All right. Well, the book is Creative Endurance, uh, released by Rockport. So I'm assuming it's in all the bookstores, on the Amazons, on the Barnes and Nobles, yep. whatnot. Is any 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 other places you want people to to go look for it? Probably on the magazine rack. I don't know. That would be nice to do it and put it on the magazine rack. Uh, I have to cut a video for Books a Million today or, or on Monday, so it's going to be there too. Um, hopefully, some some local bookstores too support those those folks. But yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely everything is on Amazon, so you can find it there. How is the magazine world? Let's let's move. Your your actual your day job is actually for Fast Company, right? You're the creative director of the whole brand, not just the magazine, but the whole their Fast Company empire. I like the word empire. Yes, I'm I'm yeah. <laughs> the creative director of, of all Fast Company. Yes, so the magazine, events, website, uh, award programs, so the whole thing. So it's my role is kind of a, a hybrid of editorial and branding and. Uh, you know, the, you asked how the magazine world is. It's, I think it's gotten a lot more fun, you know, because the role of a creative director has evolved from being somebody who just works on a magazine to somebody who oversees an entire brand. So like, you know, right now we're working on our most innovative companies package and it's, it's our biggest package. And I'm thinking about, okay, how does this exist in the entire magazine, but also how does this live as an event? How does this live as an online experience? How are we going to do a social media rollout? You know, uh, how does the award program attach to that? So there's so many like tentacles that branch off of it. It just like it becomes a real exercise in systematic thinking. But it's also like I feel like editorial designers are some of the the best branding designers too because we are so system minded, where we know how to create a structured system, but we also know okay. When do we need to like bend the system and create a bit of uh, variety for the reader? I assume it also because of your constant deadlines, you get used to knowing when you have to have something done and also being able to just kind of move on from it. Yeah, I years ago when I worked with um, a creative director named Amit Capisi at Entertainment Weekly, he used to joke with me and he used to say, you know, you've there's always next issue, right? So when I would feel like down about whatever I was working on, because at Entertainment Weekly, we had like three days to design a magazine. Oh, and some, you have some hits, you have some misses. And he would just reassure me and say, there's always there's always next issue, right? So like, I think that's an important thing to note too, is when you're on deadline and working on anything is like, it's gonna be out there and, you know, it's gonna eventually, people won't see it as much. So uh, you, people see what you put in your portfolio, right? And, I, and that's something, that I used, it's it's a train of thought that I used to reassure myself sometimes because I like I am a perfectionist, but also like I can't drive myself batty here, like you know worrying about every single little thing. And a deadline is a is a great thing because it forces us to just make a decision and and move on. And I think from my years of working at a weekly magazine, because I worked at Entertainment Weekly for four and a half years, 
I'm just kind of like, I'm still wired at that pace. So like, I know when you can obsess over something, but I know when it's like, it's time to call it and time to just be done with the thing. Yeah. And it's not saying that you're, you're just like, oh, it's garbage, throw it out. But you're like, it's good enough, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's never garbage. And I think that, you know, when we are perfectionists in our mind, we think this isn't that great, but like for the outside world, like it's, it probably looks wonderful to them. So I do, I, I try not to pump out garbage. <laughs> <laughs> That's not on your business card. I mean, I, I mean, I think it'd be a fun business card, but garbage man, garbage man in, in chief garbage man of the empire. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's got to do it. You can workshop it. Okay. (laughs) So, so Mike, what advice do you give to people who want to get into the uh, publication industry? Don't. Oh, well, there there you go. Don't take your job. Don't take my job. No, I think that, you know, working in editorial, there's so many great things you learn. Like I was talking about with like systematic thinking, storytelling. Um, But I think the traditional like editorial, like magazine worlds, like, I don't know if it's that's the the best field for somebody to go into, but I think that there are, you know, there are companies who might be looking for like having their own one-off kind of magazine. But I think it's you know it's important at this state of the the industry to think about editorial as one component of somebody's career versus like the main thing that you want to go into. If you want to go into it as part of your career, what type of other things kind of sideline best with it? Are there things that make more sense to do? I mean, I think that like, if you look at a brand like Dropbox, they're very editorial minded, right? Like if you look, you look at some of the stuff they do and they, um, the way they use illustration, the way they, they write their copy, like that feels editorial minded. I mean, I've, I've seen like MailChimp has done like those reports, um, which kind of feel like annual reports. Like that's a great example of, of editorial design. So I, I think that like having stuff like that, if we, you know, if we're speaking to like students or you know early career people who are looking for their path, like having work like that, like thinking about how to design a report with more of a editorial mindset, you know, giving giving the reader characters to glue onto, thinking about you know visual storytelling, not just running columns and columns of text, but you know different types of, of treatments through photography, through illustration, like that's an important way to think and and thinking about design and, and and content is and I, I kind of don't love using the word content but uh, I, I do it often but like you know thinking about it as an experience and thinking about it as a reading experience and like you know I often think like okay would I read this right and I and I do I did that a lot throughout working on my book where you know I would as I poured the copy into it and as I was like working on the layouts like I'd print it out bring home 160 pages of the printout and look at it and, and say, Am I enjoying this right now? I, because I was so critical of it, I think that that's why it's, I consider it to be a fun reading experience because every time I got bored with it, I would change something or I would, I would cut my copy shorter. So I think it's really important to, you know, in, in, to think about editorial design as an experience. And I think that, you know, we don't often think about that in, you know, user experience, editorial design, but they, I really believe that they go hand in hand. No, that's, that's very good. Well, Mike, I really appreciate your time, and we'll catch up again some other time. All right, Donovan. Any any new books on the horizon, or that they? I mean, once 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 Pinsel writes one, they're already they already got like five or six. Or or are you or are you like I'm gonna wait, and then a couple of years later, you're like I'm ready for the punishment again. 
You know, it's funny. As soon as I was done with this, I started thinking about book number two. Um, so book number two is is top of mind. I feel like with this, you know, this one as my first book, I didn't know what I was doing going into it. If I could do it again, I would do it totally differently. I will just say that I really love people's origin stories and how they got to be where they are. And I'm thinking about how to, how can I turn that into a book? So to be continued. I almost forgot to ask for people that want to follow you, follow your work. Where, where do you, where do you send them? You can go to mikeschneit.com or you can go to at Schneit on Instagram. And I'm assuming that people will see how to spell my last name when they look at this podcast or would you like me to spell it out for them? Cause it, I mean, you can spell it out. Like I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, they can see it, but I don't know if they read it. Okay. Let's go. S C H N A I D T. We probably lost uh, listeners as I was spelling it out. They were like, screw this. I'm going to listen to this guy. <laughs> it's not that many letters, right? Right. 10. All right. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not it's not crazy long, but who knows? No, we don't waste people's time too much. I hope we don't waste any more of their time. So we will we will <laughs> we'll see you here in a couple more weeks. We're back. We're back this season. We get, hopefully it'll be a good season. So um 36point.com. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Meary is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab.